Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Hi, welcome to the NASCAR and NBC podcast. I'm your host, Nate Ryan, joined today by my colleague at NBCSports.com, the editor of NASCAR Talk, Dustin Long, who was at Talladega Super Speedway. I was at the boulevard. I was on the boulevard. He was on the boulevard, as he always is. He was also on the photo stand during the race. I know he loves that perch. Yes. Pretty good place to be yesterday, Dustin, with all the action happening in the pits. We're going to get into that, but first I want to talk about Kyle Busch getting his second victory of the season. Who would have thought that we'd be talking about super speedway ace Kyle Busch in his first season at Richard Childress Racing? This victory at Talladega for Kyle Busch, his first on a super speedway since 2008. Prior to the season, the only victories he had on super speedways, both in 2008, one at Daytona, one at Talladega. He could have won Daytona 500 this year, Dustin. I mean, certainly he had a great car. He crashed in the qualifying race there, but then he came back in the race and was in the mix to try to win the Daytona 500 until that last lap crash where he got involved in it. So I know you asked in the post-race Kyle Busch and Richard Childress a lot of interesting questions about how this relationship has worked. I want to get to some of that, but let's just start with Kyle Busch is the super speedway driver. Why he had such trouble winning races the last 15 years with Joe Gibbs Racing and why it seems like suddenly he's really good at it at RCR. I think one of the challenges when he was at Joe Gibbs Racing was just the Toyotas just didn't always have the numbers. Now, obviously, they were the ones, what was it, 16 uh, with Denny and, and really kind of created that teamwork mentality. And that's why they had success because everybody was kind of doing their own thing on an island. The Toyotas worked together and then lo and behold, they they win the Daytona 500 and and then other people start paying attention to that. And so you don't have the numbers. Some people might make the point, hey, look, you know, he's he's had that big hit at uh, Daytona in 2015 where he, he suffered the, the serious leg and foot injuries, missed the first 11 races of the season. And this style of racing, you have to be super aggressive. I'm not going to say not smart because you do have to be smart, but I think you almost have to turn that part of your brain off at times and just say, look, there's a hole. I'm going to go for it. Let's see what happens. And I think Kyle probably is more measured. Now, whether it's because of 2015, whether that's because he's that type of a driver, you know, he's not the only one in the Toyota, you know, that was in the Toyota camp for a long time that hadn't had success in speedway races. Obviously, Martin Truex Jr. has never won on a speedway race. So, you know, is it something that their styles is something because of the fewer Toyota cars? You know, I I think that could be something related to that. So Kyle's a, a generational talent. And he can do a lot of great things. Speedway racing doesn't maybe match up as well. 
but I don't, I, I, you know, I don't know if that's as much of a worry other than for him, just the fact that, you know, for having such a great career to this point, he doesn't have that Daytona 500 victory. And look, he's come close to winning on speedways before, uh, you know, more often and, and having some runner up finishes in the past. It also says a lot, Dustin, I think for Richard Childress racing and their degree of success on super speedways, this was the 13th win at Talladega for RCR Kyle Busch joining Clint Boyer, Kevin Harvick, Dale Earnhardt as RCR drivers who have won at Talladega. They've had a ton of success at Daytona as well. Last year in the cutoff race for the regular season, Austin Dillon wins that race at Daytona to advance to the playoffs. So I feel as if, Dustin, RCR isn't a team we talk about a lot in terms of super speedway success, and especially when we're talking about like the Fords and the other Chevys. But I think you're right. Like you kind of mentioned it, there's that strength in numbers in Chevrolet that Kyle Busch hasn't been accustomed to a Toyota. And you, you take that and couple it with the fact that RCR is pretty good on these super speedway programs, really going back to the Earnhardt days. Well, I think what's really interesting about the RCR speedway program is the last couple of years, I think you look more at the Fords and you look at how well the Fords have worked together. And you just think the Fords are the ones that are going to be the dominant ones and they're going to put themselves in position. We look at, you know, how good Brad Keselowski, Joey Logano, Ryan Blaney, uh, and some of those others are on, on from the Ford camp on it. But like you noted, you know, Austin Dillon wins at Daytona last year with his teammate Tyler Reddick right behind him. So, you know, Childress right up there at the front. And as you noted earlier, too, hey, look, Kyle Busch, if there isn't overtime in the Daytona 500, I mean, he he leads lap 200. And, you know, the race goes into overtime and gets caught up in an incident later. So, you know, Childress, RCR could easily have won the last three Speedway races. And I'm not going to count uh, Atlanta in that, uh, but the Daytona Talladega races. And so this is who they are. I mean, they, you know, one thing Kyle talked about is, you know, they, they don't have that strength right now in the short track, but this is a, an organization as, as good on the speedways. And as you alluded to, has had a history of being very good on, on the speedways. And so, you know, in one sense, it wasn't surprising to see a children's car up there. You know, one thing I noted in my Friday five leading into Talladega weekend has had this graphic from, got the information from racing insights and was just asking about, Hey, when's the, you know, Kyle Busch's last win at Talladega was 2008. What's the longest gap between wins at a particular at, at Talladega? And he's had 28 races uh, since that race and then gets that win on, on Sunday. And that's the largest gap between wins at Talladega. And for all time in the series, it's third. Uh, was it Terry Labonte uh, had 40 some races between his victory in 1980 at Darlington? And then was it 2003 or so? in Darlington. So it shows uh, in one sense how much it's as much a team game and how you're able to position yourself and and the help that you get. And and so I think, yes, Childress is, I I think you say that this is the team to beat on the speedways right now, not Hendrick Motorsports, not the Fords. It's Richard Childress Racing until somebody else knocks them off. Is this Austin Dillon's path again to the playoffs or is this another path for Kyle Busch to collect more playoff points? You know, here's a guy who who didn't have playoff points last year, had those two engine failures with Toyota in the first round and was eliminated in the first round of the playoffs for the first time in his career. So, you know, he talked about in the press conference uh, about just wanting to get off to a fast start. This helps and, you know, see how they can continue to build at other tracks, but especially the speedways. Yeah, and no question, RCR has definitely changed Kyle Busch's fortunes here early on the super speedways. But I think the big story of Kyle Busch going to Richard Childress Racing this year was going to be the impact that he had on that organization. And you asked some good questions post-race. You asked one of Kyle Busch about... 
Dustin Long, NBC Sports. Kyle, eight months ago at Watkins Glen, you opened up about how it had been such a hard-as-hell year at that point. Where you were then to where you are now, two wins. What's it like to be Kyle Bush? What's your mindset now? Just having a good, strong support system. Obviously, uh, you know, Samantha and, and Brexton, my family first. Um, but then from there, having a, a great bunch of guys that, you know, I'm, I'm surrounded by that when Richard made comment to Randall about – there being a chance that I come over there, he was really pumped up about it, and he was really excited about it. And uh, Petrie was as well too. I remember Petrie blowing me up for a couple of weeks on uh, on phone calls and stuff. So they didn't think that Kyle Bush was washed up or anything like that. And so it was really a breath of fresh air to to get over there and, and get to work. And and it's trust me, I I've I've probably done more worked harder in this year than I have in the last four. Um, you know, just because of feeling like. It's my duty, it's my service to them to, to give them everything that I've got, absolutely everything that I've got for them sticking their neck out for me at, uh, at RCR. So, you know, we're, we're working really hard in a lot of areas. Uh, I keep pushing these guys on, on some stuff, and, and I hope that it, it, it'll continue to get better. I know you've done some other reporting on that front, Dustin, where I think Andy Petrie had told you a couple of weeks ago just about how much of an impact Kyle is making behind the scenes, how much he's transforming that organization. Now, Kyle, of course, will say they've got a lot of work to do, especially like on short track still, but it seems as if RCR is really being impacted. And you've seen that both in your discussions with Kyle, but also with guys like Petrie. Yeah, and talking with, with Andy Petrie and, and also even like, you know, a guy like Justin Haley, like Colleague Racing, who is, you know, that's an affiliate with Childress. They're in on the meetings. There were a couple of things I, I wanted to see with Kyle Bush this season to see what he could do early in the season to see if, you know, and I think everybody was going to take a look, compare him to Tyler Reddick, just because those are the guys that made the moves and those guys each have, you know, at least one, one win this season. But I think the measurement of Kyle Bush at Childress is going to take longer because I think he's seen what Toyota's done and what Joe Gibbs Racing's done, and that's been a premier organization for the last several years. That's something Richard Childress Racing cannot say that it has been the last several years. And so not every idea carries over, but I think there's a lot of ideas or ways of doing things. For as much as he's given credit for his talent, he is an incredible thinker and analyzer of the car. I mean, I remember years and years ago, uh, was it had gotten a teammate's car at Daytona. And as he's going through the corner, he was breaking down on the radio, each corner of the car, what it was doing at that particular point. And it's like something you, you never heard from anybody else in the car. So he has uh, a mechanical knowledge or at least a way of explaining things. So yes, there's work to do at Richard Childress Racing. I mean, yes, they won four races last year, uh, their best season in, in years. But for this organization, which has been up and down, up and down, and no consistency in last what last 20, 25 years at least, I'm interested to see how he can help build this organization and give it that consistency. And that's not going to be done over 10 races. I want to see what they're like next year. I and mean, this is a multi-year program because it just takes so much time to turn the ship around. I think one thing that's interesting is you look back in the last 29 races in the Cup season, that goes back to Reddick's win at Road America. RCR has six wins. There's only one other organization that has more wins, and that's Hendrick Motorsports with nine. And to put it in another perspective, with Richard Childress racing six wins in that 29-race stretch, that's nearly as many victories as Joe Gibbs Racing and Team Penske has in that same period. Those two teams have combined for seven wins in that stretch. When's the last time you could even make 
a statement close to that about Childress having nearly as many wins as Joe Gibbs Racing and Team Penske at any point in the last 25 years. You couldn't. Uh, they're building, and I think this is the guy that can help lead them over to the next step. And, uh, you know, that's something Andy Petrie told me is just like, you know, he's really pushing them in a lot of ways. And it was fascinating to hear when Justin Haley uh, talked to him a few weeks ago and just says, look, there's not a question Kyle Busch doesn't ask. And again, part of that's just because he's new to the organization. But it's like, hey, why are we doing this? Why, why does it have to be done this way? Why can't it be done that way? And just the idea of someone, somebody coming in and looking at it from a different perspective can give those who have been in an organization for many years or decades uh, another way to look at it as opposed to just doing the same thing over and over and over again. I'm glad you brought up what Justin Haley said, Dustin, because that was something I was going to ask you about. You had that in your column from Talladega after the race last night that Justin Haley talked about how Kyle Busch is just adamant in these meetings about like, this is wrong. If we're doing it this way, we shouldn't be. And obviously he comes in with enormous credentials, you know, two-time champion, more than 60 cup series victories, more than 200 across cup Xfinity and trucks. But to be able to walk into an organization and have your opinions listened to that way, even with someone who's a Hall of Fame driver, I think that requires a certain amount of deference on the part of Childress and his people. And this is not an organization that is any sort of Johnny come lately, obviously. They've been around for 50 plus years. And we're talking about Richard Childress, a Hall of Famer himself. You asked him during the post race what it's been like to have that stretch that you mentioned. Dustin Long, NBC Sports. Uh, Richard, obviously you've been in this long enough. You've seen the, the highs and lows, and there's been some great years for you guys, and there have been some years where in some way, ways you couldn't get out of your own way. You guys have had some struggles in recent years, but now when you go back to last season, you guys have won six of the last 29 races. You've won 20% of the cup races. But what does it mean to be more of a player than what you had been for a, a number of years on a consistent basis? Yeah, thank you, Dustin. That's a good question. Uh, you know, racing is like life. There's peaks and valleys. And when you get in a, on a peak, it's harder to stay there. you got to be prepared when you're on a, uh, at the top. We've been there. We've also been in the valley, the very bottom. And you got to work harder and have the right drive and emotion to put you up to the top. And that's what we've worked hard to get there. It's took a long road, so it's been a fun deal. You Me personally, uh, it, it means a lot because I've, uh, I'm still doing this. People say, why do you do it? If you see all those fans up there, that's why we do it. You've known Richard Childress for a long time, Dustin. You've reported on him for a quarter century. What is it about him and his organization that they can be so old school, so much old guard, but yet when they bring in somebody like Kyle Busch, a, a world talent like this, again, I, I think they really just defer – from what we've heard and what we're seeing, what Kyle Busch says kind of goes right now, which I think is a credit to a team like Childress that has been around for decades. I think the key thing with an organization like that or any organization is you either evolve or you die. And it's quite simple. I mean, if you're not going to find new ways of doing things, you're going to get passed up. And, you know, we've been both covering the sport for many years and, you know, we can tick off the name of of teams and owners that had bright ideas and ways to do it, or even those that uh, were kind of stuck in their ways and, and are gone. And, you know, Childress is here. What Richard has gone through some unique periods and obviously, you know, the great success with Earnhardt. Then after Earnhardt's death, you know, Richard talked about in the past about, you know, hey, do I get out of this? 
and there was a consideration. But what what kept him in it, what kept him motivated were his grandsons. And that was a key thing at that point is this was building it for for Austin and Ty and, and putting the effort forth through that after Earnhardt's passing. After that, there were there still were some struggles. You know, they brought in Harvick and had him move into that leadership role along with Jeff Burton and a few others. But, I, you know, I think Harvick talked the recently looking back on his 800th career start. Maybe if there were things he could have done differently, lessons he learned and just how to approach people or approach things at like a place like the Childress and and to get his point across. He would hit with a sledgehammer when maybe it didn't need to, you didn't need to use a sledgehammer and types of things. And sometimes if you're going to go in that direction, you're not going to get as much response from people, especially the approach Harvick used when he's still a newcomer. That's not you know, that's going to be harder to sway veteran employees. But if you got somebody like Kyle Bush, you know, has won two championships, won a 62nd career win in cup. People are going to listen. And quite frankly, if they're not going to listen to Kyle Bush, then as owner of that organization, I'm going to question them or I'm going to run them out and say, hey, you know what? Thanks for your service. It's time to retire because, you know, if you're going to if you're going to do this, we're not going to be an organization. There's not not we're not going to be around. So I think in one sense, Childress sees what Kyle Bush can do for him. And maybe this is the guy that can give him at least one last championship before Richard decides to retire, before he decides to step away. If he ever does, he's never had that opportunity because quite frankly, I don't know if any championship caliber driver has truly looked at Childress in the last, what, five, 10 years per se, uh, as, as a place to go. For for Kyle, would it have been, as he was going through this process last year, would it have been his first choice? I don't think so. I think you look at other teams, but because certain pieces didn't fall in together, you had to go down the list and Childress became that. And I think, look, you know, as Richard says, credit to Austin for bringing it up to, to him and Richard and the team reacting and basically recruiting him like a five-star <laughs> recruit in basketball or football. And And I thought that was interesting is in the press conference, he talked about how they made him feel good and they didn't think he was washed up, which... In one sense, it's kind of hard to think of Kyle Busch washed up, but and it, you know that's where he was. I mean, he what four wins the last three years? A lot of people would take that, but that's not Kyle Busch success. That's not Kyle Busch numbers. Richard Childress Racing is like, look, somebody like this available. Hey, let's let's move heaven and earth to get this guy because of what he can do. As much as they've reinvigorated Kyle Busch, I think he's reinvigorated Richard Childress. Talladega has been so great to RC. I raced here in 1969. That was one of the biggest breaks I got. I left here with about $1,500, $2,000, thought I'd never have to work again, and here I am still racing. So uh, I think he's helping us build RCR back to where we want to be. I want to make one final point on that Kyle Busch RCR dynamic that goes to the race where you have this situation where he's low on fuel and his crew chief, Randall Burnett, who we know very low-key guy, but extremely successful. Won three times last year with Tyler Reddick. Burnett asks Kyle Busch to pit. It's too late, so Kyle Busch is not able to do that. But Kyle Busch says later, There's no way you come to pit road and just throw away your day. Like, your day's done, you know. And we didn't have any stage points, so we had nothing at that point in the race, you know. So I was just like, why not just take the chance? And so he said, pit, pit, pit. And I was like, that's a good thing it's too late anyway. I knew I wasn't going to get it in there. But also, um, I, w- I wouldn't have anyways. I would have just 
taken the chance and just said, you know what, roll the dice, let's go. I didn't really voice that over the radio about, you know, hey, we got to win. We might as well just stay out and ride this thing out. I just thought it in my head. So, but, you know, it's, it's cool to work with Randall and obviously he gives me a lot of leeway just with my experience and stuff like that and being here. And so, you know, probably a few years ago I would have pitted and just, you know, taken the finish, uh, whatever that might've been, we probably would have been caught up in that wreck, you know? So, um, but when I when I thought that we'd have a shot for a front row start there at the end, I was like, there's no way we can pit. I mean, if we run out of gas coming off a of turn two after we take the green flag, so be it, you know. But, um, yeah, just go for it. Roll the dice. And Burnett was asked about this post-race, and it was the answer I would have expected. Burnett was like, I'm fine with that. <laughs> you know? Whereas I don't know if that would sit so well with other crew chiefs who might be the drill sergeant types. My voice is gospel. What I say goes. You don't really see that certainly with Randall Burnett. And I don't know if that's a reason why he and Kyle Busch have meshed so well, but it certainly seems to be kind of the underpinnings of their relationship here. Then again, that deference I'm talking about that RCR shows to Kyle, I think it's very much there with his team leader. And I think as a result, again, this might be partially the honeymoon period, but I don't think we've seen Kyle Busch chirping on the radio, certainly like we saw in his latter years at Joe Gibbs Racing. What's your thoughts on all that? And does Randall Burnett seem like maybe the, a good fit with this type of driver? Well, I think one thing that's interesting about this is Kyle Busch overruling a crew chief. We've seen that before this year, and that was at Coda in the truck race. Brian Patty was wanting him to pit, and he says, no, I'm going to stay out. And that cost that cost Kyle essentially you know, a chance to win the race. So it's part of Kyle's M.O., and – you know, I think if I'm Randall, and I'm sure that they they talked about this, or maybe they talk more about it after the situation, and just, you know, okay, if you're going to be making calls at certain points, what more information do you need? Because you know, how many times have we heard in talking to drivers and crew chiefs, it's like you know, drivers say, "I only know what's going on inside my car and kind of what's around it." It's hard to have that global picture that the crew chief has. Now, for Kyle, it's a little bit easier, like you know, on Sunday. As he said, he's got that one win, uh, and, and maybe you can take that gamble a little bit more. But you know that's that's part of his mo of doing it. So I think you have to you have to talk through that. But yes, you're right. There's not been that chirping. Um, you know, look, anytime something happened bad or Kyle Busch was struggling, how many times were people at the track jumping over to his his, his radio channel on their scanner? And just listen to them just go crazy and yelling. And, you know, for some people, it was entertaining. And, you know, it hasn't been that type of entertainment this year. Now, if you're part of Rowdy Nation, it's been entertaining because he's what he's been doing on the track. So if he gets stronger and stronger, you know, hopefully some of that ego and uh, bravado comes out even more. Because I, I I would love to hear him do things like remember when when Tony Stewart was starting to catch people in races uh, and start going here, kitty, kitty, kitty. And you just knew when you heard that is just like, okay, this race is over. Uh, <laughs> give the check flag to Tony, because even though he's down by six seconds, he's got this, he's got the leader. Nothing's going to happen. He's going to win this race. One other thing I want to mention about Kyle though, is I think is interesting that he gets this win at Talladega. And you think about this, it was a year ago at this time when he came into the media center and gave all these cryptic responses about what his future was going to be like at Joe Gibbs racing and we asked, are you going to be, he was asked, are you going to be at Joe Gibbs racing? And he's like, well, go ask Joe. And it just, as, as things went on, it became more and more evident that, yeah, this, uh, this marriage between Kyle Busch and Joe Gibbs racing was going to be done after 15 years and opened the door for Richard Childress racing. So I think there's some symmetry in, in just that and just, 
you know, a year later um, that he gets that win. So I think there's a lot of things that are kind of wrapped up in this Talladega win for, for Kyle Busch and Childress. Yeah, what a difference a year makes, certainly. Again, now Kyle Busch, two playoff victories and locked in. And a lot of teams, I think, that were hoping to lock in are not after Talladega, which, again, presents that opportunity that you just don't get every race. Talking about a little bit of the race, Dustin, uh, certainly I think what we saw over the first two stages was what drivers had expected. A lot of fuel conservation, a lot of too wide racing, but not a lot of crazy racing, a lot of track position. We didn't see the big wreck. We didn't see a lot of yellows in those first two stages. But of course, toward the end, we always see the wrecks. And I want to start with the big one that everybody was talking about. Not a big one in terms of number of cars, but in terms of the impact of Ryan Priest T-boning Kyle Larson after Larson had spun down the track and was coming back up and Priest was accelerating, try to get through the mayhem there. Ryan Priest hits Kyle Larson probably, I don't know, 170, 180 miles an hour. Obviously, we don't have the data, but he was going full throttle into the passenger side doorframe area. Larson says afterward that the cockpit was messed up. Zach Catanzaretti, uh, assistant producer here, always sends us great notes for the podcast. He mentioned that he thought the roll bars, we haven't really seen that kind of bending of roll bars since the Ryan Newman Daytona 500 crash at the end of the 2020 race. And NASCAR certainly reacted to that. We know that NASCAR took Larson's car back to the R&D center for further examination. What did you hear post-race, Dustin? And what do you think NASCAR does next, knowing how they treat safety as paramount? What are the next steps after this crash? Well, I think it's just an investigation of what what uh, happened there. And I, I think what's going to be interesting with this car, unlike the Ryan Newman car, obviously you've got what uh, the next speedway race is Atlanta and that's July. So do you have enough time to investigate, to come up with a solution? And now that we're in an era of, you know, vendor supplied parts, is this, is there enough time to get the things done in place for Atlanta with the Ryan Newman situation, you know, took them a while to investigate and, you know, come up with a solution has to go through that process and then the teams could do what they needed to do, do the, that work. So now, now everybody's chassis and roll bars are coming from the same place versus before everybody was building those on their own. So I'm, I'm curious to see with the single source supplier, does that change it? Does it delay it? Or does that make it easier in a way? I, I, I think there's a lot of questions, things that'll be different that NASCAR has to look at. Now, again, maybe they'll say, hey, this is pretty simple because we can make this one simple thing and this will this will take care of it if it is that's great perfect and move on the the incident was just uh i mean that was just scary to see when they showed the replay of the impact in the media center you heard audible gasp in the in the media center and a lot of us have seen some pretty bad things over the years and it still took your breath away to see that impact and then to see the impact from the in-car camera on priest and his visor flying up and just how violently he's He's being tossed around. One, glad that he's okay, you know, that he's okay. And, you know, I know he he posted on Twitter Monday morning. He was at the gym working out, getting ready for Dover. So that's a good sign. I think one of the things that is, in one sense, you don't want to say something good comes out of an accident like this. But I think one good thing about it is being able to see that in-car view of what Priest went through. Because I think it's a good reminder to fans and people that, you know, when you see these crashes there are people inside there's there's a person inside each of those cars 
And, you know, I think sometimes people forget that and they just see these cars doing these wild things. And, you know, they see the Blaine Perkins rolling over six times in the Xfinity race on Saturday or Daniel Hemrick getting upside down and, and think how cool and spectacular that is. And it's like, look, there's somebody in there and, you know, credit to NASCAR for the safety that, you know, for those accidents in the Xfinity race for the Ryan Priest, Kyle Larson incident. Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens and what NASCAR does. Is it a quick fix? Is it an easy fix? Or is this something that is going to take a little bit more time? I'm certainly curious to see what they do possibly with the number five car with the, with Larson's Chevy and, and how they might address that. But I'm glad you brought up Priest because I think that was almost as telling and almost as much a topic of discussion was I saw a lot of mentions on social media, Dustin, about the travel that we saw with yeah. Ryan Priest in that impact. And I don't know what NASCAR can do to address that. I'm sure that they're going to take a look at it. They're going to examine it. And I, I know a lot of people were, you know, up in arms about like, why is the driver moving so much? As you mentioned, his visor comes off, his hands are off the wheel. I'm wondering about two points there. Like one, when you have a head-on collision with a car that's virtually almost stopped and you're going probably close to 180 miles an hour, I don't know how much you can address it in or like a really meaningful way to keep the driver steady or stable. And then two, I think you make a really good point about, I don't think we've seen that view all that often. Another side effect of the next gen with all these cars having the in-car cameras now and having this high def view. I can't think of many times we've seen in cars like that. And that perspective of seeing what the driver, I mean, usually in car is like through the front windshield to have the, the driver perspective. I don't know if we've seen that before. And I think that might've been, as much as much as that was a it was a really terrible impact and difficult to watch, I think it was also jarring because we've just we've never seen that before. It brought back memories of the 2001 accident investigation on the Dale Earnhardt crash, and if I'm remembering my details correctly, one of the things that they did at the press conference in Atlanta. Uh, when they went over the accident report uh, from Earnhardt's crash in the 2001 Daytona 500 is they showed an in-car video. And I want to say it was Johnny Benson in an accident. And it was where he just basically slapped the wall. He came up and slapped the wall. And again, the seats were a lot different then. And it was a low speed impact. And he, he just he just bounced around and got jostled. And you were thinking, holy cow. That's so much slower than, you know, what like the Earnhardt or some other impacts were. And it was eye opening in that sense. And seeing Priest and seeing that in-car camera view brought me back to seeing that incident. Because, yeah, I can't remember too many times where you've seen it. You know, how many times did we see here from drivers in, in the past of like, you know, when they'd have impacts and how they would hit their chest or hit their hit their head on the, on right. the steering wheel? you don't hear that as much these days. And, and again, maybe it still happens to some degree, but I don't think we see it or hear it as much. While we saw that video from the Fox camera and saw it in real time and it slowed down a little bit, you know, people have to understand that there is a high speed camera in all these cars that is pointed at the drivers. That is, I don't know, what is it? A thousand frames a second or something like that. That is just incredibly quick. So it breaks down each minute movement and you know i'm sure that is going to be fascinating and for nascar to look at and just to see what what his body went through now i think it, it's good to have that because then you can see hey how did the belts work how did this work how did the seat work and they can come back to ryan and say hey you need to do this you need to do this 
or is there something that they can do across the board? You know, we've seen a lot of safety stuff, uh, especially since last year. And one of the things that came about from last year was the head protection, uh, the foam and everything around the drivers. They wanted the drivers' heads a little bit closer, so there wasn't as much space, so they weren't bouncing around in these type of impacts. And I'll tell you one thing that really kind of stands out to me, and I haven't talked to him about it, but uh, Joey Logano, every time I see him in the in-car, it seems like his his helmet is almost pressed up right against the foam. And to me, it seems like that's even more so than what it was. And it's just like he's got seemingly as tight of a fit. And now obviously he can move around a little bit, but it seems like that gap has really been closed up. And I think that's something that he's learned from everything last year. What will other guys take from this experience? What will NASCAR uh, detail to uh, to the drivers? And I think one thing certainly we can't lose sight of is just how tough you have to be to be a NASCAR driver. That they go into these races not just with the knowledge they could pay the ultimate price and and lose their lives, but also that if they're in wrecks like this, it's going to hurt. And I think sometimes we lose sight of that. And like you said, good to see Ryan Priest back in the gym this morning, getting ready for Dover. Certainly, really good to see Kyle Larson talking outside the care center after he was seen and released and able to walk away. And Dustin, I was thinking about this today, you know, the number of impacts that Kyle Larson takes. And you know, we talk about what a highly talented driver he is and how good he is. And he's all world. And he can win in anything. But I think part of that is because he is tough. I mean, you think about the the hits he's taken in sprint cars and midget racing and the, the tumbling wrecks that he's had on dirt tracks across the country. But now this year in super speedway races, that's always been the knock on Larson, right? Is that this might be his weakness in NASCAR. But you look at the two super speedway races this year, Daytona and Talladega. Daytona, he's racing for the lead there, final lap and gets turned head on into the wall, very violent impact. And now Sunday he has, again, racing up toward the front for the lead, no fault of his own, gets T-boned, and which probably the, the hardest impact of the season. I know that Dustin Kyle talked about this a little bit after the race. Just a bummer, you know, put ourselves in position once again on a super speedway and, and results don't show it. So, um, you know, another wreck, not of my doing on a super speedway. So just hate it, but uh, we'll, keep, we'll keep getting better and eventually it'll have to work out, I would think. <laughs> I'm sure the super speedway racing has to be immensely frustrating for him and especially have these wicked impacts. But it seems as if, just like we were after Martinsville, it's probably only a matter of time before we're talking about Kyle Larson winning one of these races and not, thankfully, walking away from another huge, scary wreck. Well, you talk about all the big wrecks he's had. And, you know, I think people sometimes forget, what was it, 2013 in the the uh, right. race? Went in the fence. Daytona gets into the fence and the engine gets into you know, goes over through the fence. And I mean, how horrible of a crash that was. And you would think, is that a type of crash that gets in the back of a driver's mind and makes them hesitate uh, on a particular move? And it doesn't seem like it has. I think for as tough as you talk about him being physically, I think you could say he's as tough mentally in the sense of, I mean, he essentially can blank slate it, seemingly uh, these big crashes it doesn't stop him from, you know, we haven't seen Kyle, hey, you know what? I'm going to ride in the back for the first two stages. I'm not going to worry about stage points here. I've got my wins this year, and then I'm going to go race the last stage, and I'll worry about it. And he easily could. What is, I understand that every point matters, and he knows that as well as anybody uh, a few years back at the Roval and being able to advance on one extra point. But, you know, I, I think there's something to be said, and I think it's really remarkable, a lot of these guys, on just how, how one, they accept crashing and accept crashing at Daytona and Talladega at these speeds and then go and get in the car and do it. 
and then get in a crash and then come back and still race as hard and do the things they have to do. Because look, for as more challenge as as challenging as is getting to be to pass and all the blocking, you have to be incredibly aggressive at these tracks. And and, and look, you know, some people are upset with Ross Chastain for his move. And there's a hole there. Uh, this is a guy like in Ross that he's well known to be aggressive. That's helped him win races. That's helped him get to this point. I think over the last couple of years, I think he's he's learning how to adjust or when to go. I don't know if he makes that move earlier in the race, but because of what's at, at stake and it's late in the race. Yeah, it's an aggressive move, but that's that's what you have to do. Just like Bubba Wallace, you know, you know, Ryan Blaney said, look, he blocked me. He triple blocked me. But Blaney says, look, if I was leading, I would have done the same thing. Right. That's what this right. race is. You essentially have to put take your brain out and just toss it away and just in the last 10 laps and just go and hope that the car's strong enough, the safety equipment's good enough, and that if anything happens, you're going to be okay. I want to touch on one more thing, Larson, but before we get to that, because you brought up the Bubba Wallace, Ryan Blaney finish, I know you had a chance to talk with Ryan Blaney. We heard Bubba Wallace's side. Close, close, close block and just uh, sent us around. So not the 12th fault. Just uh, I honestly thought that he would leave me high and dry coming back around. And so um, just uh, just hate it. Hate it from a team and it's how, it's how it goes. So that was uh, that was our best by far play race that we've ever done so hats off to the 23 group freddie up on top of the roof and just a, a great day for us just a crap result so hate it um i caused that one and man i just i thought it'd play out a little different obviously not getting wrecked but uh, i thought the move would happen coming off through the tribal he threw essentially three blocks i think that drivers generally maybe you get one but you know after that first one if that doesn't work you try it again and a third time bad things normally going to happen. And at that point you can't blame the other guy. Was that how Ryan Blaney saw it? Yeah, it's exactly. I mean, he's just, I mean, he said he was going to talk to, to Bubba, but he's like, look, what more can I do? And, you know, he's blocked me low, blocked me middle, blocked me high. And it's just like, <laughs> you know, at that point it's time to go. And, and look, Ryan says, yes, we are friends and good friends and it stinks, but it's like Ryan Blaney's sitting on now a 56 race winless streak for points race. I mean, I know he won the, 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 the all-star race last year, but he hasn't won a points race. You know, think about last year's Daytona 500. He was in position to win that. Then his teammate blocks him and puts him into the wall. He's just second at Talladega last year to, to in the fall playoff race to chase. Uh, now he has this where he's, he looks like he's going to be in the lead. Then the, then the triple block and it forces him up and that allows Kyle Busch to shoot down the bottom and get ahead of him when the caution is out for, for Bubba and the, the rest of the stuff that happened behind it. So it is wearing on him. We know the talent. It's just like, hey, you got to show it and got to prove it. And, and look, at, at Team Penske, it's about winning. It's not about seconds and thirds and fourths and fifths. It's about winning races and eventually winning in championships. And when you've got your teammate, who is now the two-time series champ, who's coming off winning the championship, you better start winning races. We're probably going to see that breakthrough happen sooner than later, You know, perhaps as soon as this weekend for Ryan Blaney, maybe at Dover. And I, again, like I think we're going to see it happen for Kyle Larson as well. It would not surprise me at all if he won Daytona right later this year or Talladega or even the Daytona 500 uh, to start next year. But before the race on Sunday at Talladega, Dustin, you had a chance to talk to Kyle Larson about another big race that he's running, the Indy 500 next year. Uh, he told you that he's going to be having a seat fitting in the next couple of weeks, which I know people might say, well, why is that important? Well, it's important because... If they're getting Kyle Larson fitted for a seat in an IndyCar 13 months ahead of time, 
it's because they want to put him in a car soon. <laughs> so I think we're going to see Kyle Larson testing an IndyCar, certainly before the end of 2023, possibly before the end of the season. And I thought it was really interesting. I'll let you kind of fill people in on what else he had to say about he plans to beat Indianapolis Motor Speedway for a practice next month. But he also talked about when he went to the race in 2013 and the pageantry and just how overwhelmed he was by the crowd. I know as an Indiana native, you were probably impressed by hearing that. Maybe not a surprise because Kyle Larson is around in the dirt community. A lot of people have respect for Indy, but I thought it was really interesting how much reverence he clearly has for the Brickyard. Well, yeah, it was interesting because I wanted to ask him about Indy. Just, you know, this past week was the open test at Indianapolis Motor Speedway and got to, you know, frankly watch some of it on Peacock as I was working. So enjoyed our coverage on that and just kind of got thinking, well, Indy's starting to happen. There's the, the buildup to Indy now and now that Long Beach has passed. So I just asked him, it's like, hey, what, you know, with the, the open test, what what are you thinking? And or is it even too early to start thinking about these things? And he's like, no. And as you mentioned, he was, he was getting ready to get the seats fitting, which kind of surprised me. Obviously, that's a process, but like, yeah, you're right. It's, uh, you know, they're wanting to get him in a car at some point and start getting him used to, you know, if nothing else, to get him in the car used to the steering wheel, all the knobs and the levers and things that and and switches that he's got to hit and just how that dash is going to be so much different than what he has with the with the cup car. So I, I think I think any test he does is as much just get used to your surroundings and get comfortable and and get used to things when you start going at speed. But yeah, he did talk about wanting to go to uh, Indianapolis uh, Motor Speedway uh, next month for a practice day and just kind of see what what he can do and learn with being with the team, the McLaren team, and and sending in on debriefs. He just wants to hear how they debrief, what are they talking about, how they discuss things, and, and how they look at things, and, and kind of spend a day with them. He says, look, my schedule's really tight, but I, I do want to be able to kind of get down there one day and just kind of be fully immersed with them for that and just kind of get that experience. And like you said, yeah, he talked about being in Indianapolis in 2013 and just, you know, that was the year of the Boston Marathon bombing and how part of the pre-race ceremonies was a number of people who were in the Boston Marathon who didn't get to finish the race. They allowed them to, as part of the pre-race ceremonies, to run across the yard of bricks. He, he talked about it was so cool to walk out with the Ganassi drivers and he, he thought it was really neat how, uh, you know, some people recognized him. You know, he hadn't really done much yet in his NASCAR career. He was just starting that. And like people are recognizing, which again, goes to that dirt community, uh, short track community that is so prevalent in the Midwest and Indiana and elsewhere. And just how that uh, fan base really is, is a big fan of Indianapolis. And so to have that experience, that favorable experience, to have that ex- seeing what the, the Boston Marathon finishers and then seeing the crowd and being down there on the on the grid and walking out with the drivers through the gasoline alley. He says, look, it, it was such a big moment. He's like, look, it's so big. I'm still talking about it 10 years later. And he's like, I can't <laughs> wait for next year. What that moment's going to be like, because I'm talking about this from 10 years ago. What's next year going to be like? Is he standing on the grid and walking to the grid and and then get climbing in the car with 300,000 plus people around and singing it back home again in Indiana, firing the engines and and then taking the green flag for the Indianapolis 500. Yeah, you know that scene well, certainly. We certainly can't wait to see Kyle Larson in the Indy 500 next year. Can't wait for NBC's coverage of the 107th Indy 500 next month, May 28th on NBC. Uh, And also check out Dustin's story. That's on NBCSports.com slash motors, motorsports talk. You can read what Kyle Larson had to say about Indy 500 2024. As always, you can always check out Dustin as well, uh, NBCSports.com slash NASCAR. We always love having him on the NASCAR NBC podcast. Dustin, appreciate you being here, and thanks for bringing all the insight. 
Hey, thanks a lot. Always enjoy chatting. It's been an interesting season so far. Can't wait to see what happens next. We appreciate Dustin Long for joining us on the NASCAR NBC podcast. Thanks to motorsports manager Emily Conboy and production assistant Zach Catanzaretti for coordinating this episode, helping with the recording, production, and editing of the pod. Check out the Motorsports and NBC YouTube channel for more of myself, Steve Letarte, and Marty Snyder talking Talladega on NASCAR America Motormouths. As always, you can find more news, columns, and analysis on NASCAR Talk and Motorsports Talk on NBCSports.com. Please visit NBCSports.com NASCAR or NBCSports.com motors. And one more NBC Sports podcast to tell you about. It's For the Love of Sport. The infamous Savannah Bananas sit down with the NBC Sports podcast for the love of sport for an episode you don't want to miss. Play ball and dance from their high flying stunts to their TikTok dances. The Savannah Bananas are becoming one of the hottest sensations in baseball. The Bananas play what's known as Banana Ball, the fastest and most entertaining baseball game while performing choreographed dances from timeless artists such as Michael Jackson, Britney Spears, and Lizzo. But how did this crazy game get its start? You can listen for the new episode on May 4th in For the Love of Sport, wherever you get your favorite podcasts. To learn more, go to sportsengine.com slash F-T-L-O-S. That's again, For the Love of Sport, sitting now at the infamous, just says here, the infamous, so I'm just going to read it that way, the infamous Savannah Bananas. I'm definitely going to give this a listen. All right. If you have any other NASCAR and NBC podcast feedback, you can send that to me on Twitter. At Nate Ryan is my handle while I'm still there. Thanks again for listening to the NASCAR and NBC podcast. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply.